you want a customer-centric culture, you have to reinforce it over time. You have to always make the mission, the message, top of mind, communicate, share stories of successes. Jenny and HR saved this uh, situation with a customer the other day. Those things, the stories are so powerful. And with that type of thing, if you can onboard, choose for fit and reinforce over time, you'll have a great culture. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. It is my honor to introduce Adam Toporek as our guest for today's episode. As a highly respected CX expert, speaker, and author, Adam is widely regarded as a top customer experience thought leader. In his highly rated book, Be Your Customer's Hero, Adam uses his experience to explore the day-to-day actions that can truly elevate the experience for customers and employees alike. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Lauren. I appreciate it. Awesome. Also, for those of you who might not be seeing it, there's a lovely big poster of the book right behind you. And I love the marketing because you got to keep marketing the book that you got going there. That's really awesome. Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I've had that poster for a bit now. But uh, yeah, it's always good for interviews. That is awesome. Well, let's jump into it. I think we have so many different topics to cover today in the wonderful world of customer experience. And I'm also definitely interested to dive into more about your book, more about your experiences, but let's take it all the way back and let's start with how you got into customer experience and how your journey even started in this industry. I always say I've been in customer service my whole life or customer experience my whole life because I am a third generation entrepreneur. My grandfather had a Main Street shoe store. My mother had a children's clothing business. My father had a wholesale music distribution business. And I was working in uh, pretty much all those businesses when I was like 10, 11 years old. Not sure we had uh, great child labor laws back in the day, but (laughs) I was working (laughs) in all of them. And my father was really customer-centric before it was a term. He always, he understood what it meant to put the customer first. We had a warehouse, so I would pack boxes when I was a kid. And I, you know, I was a kid. I would just throw the stuff in the boxes. I could pull the order, throw the stuff. And he actually taught me, hey, this is a presentation. This is how, you know, now we have unboxing and the unboxing experience. But he'd say, put it in neat, put it in nice, make it look good. When they open the box, it's, they don't get a mess. So I've been taught to be customer-centric my entire life. So as I got older, got my MBA, went on to do my own businesses, eventually I just really found that customer experience was the center of everything. Any type of customer, that it was the heart of the business, it was the lifeblood of the business. And I got interested, I started blogging about it, started speaking about it, started doing trainings, and now I, this is what I do. That is really interesting. And you mentioned a couple of businesses that you did and the fact that you did your MBA. So what were you doing before really jumping into the customer experience space and what kind of inspired you to move from that, I suppose, other than the interest, of course? Yeah, I was in retail and franchising. So, and I'll just leave it there. My wife still works with the franchise, so I don't think I'm supposed to talk about it too much. <laughs> uh, but I was in franchising and it was at a service-based business. So I got to see a lot of, we did a lot of volume, had a lot of transactions and got to see a wide range of customer experiences. 
And when I started off in the business, I came from that MBA perspective. I came from an old school business perspective, and I was very much a command and control. You know, I had a very much a command and control type of perspective. You know, we've got rules. We've got to watch our profit and et cetera. <laughs> and that's very important. You do need to watch your profit, but there's a way to do that. And at first, I was doing it at the expense of the customer. And uh, some of the things I've learned, and I'm sure we'll talk about these as we continue came from that experience. And my book was inspired by my experience in retail as well. And there's nothing quite like retail to teach you the principles and the strategies of customer experience and customer service. I was going to say, you actually beat me to my next question because I really <laughs> want to talk about your book and learn more about it because even just the title itself, I'm intrigued to know how it is that you become your customer's hero. And one of the things that popped into my mind, actually, when you when seeing your background in retail, obviously a little bit different, but in the world of hospitality and working in like the restaurant as a service worker, for example, I'd had that experience back in high school, university, all throughout, just trying to help myself while I was in school. And it was actually really interesting. I think I learned a lot about customer experience without even realizing it because you learn so much about the customer. And I feel like it's very unique in retail or in these service roles when you're really trying to understand the customer from different perspectives. So I'm really curious to know more about that, but tell me more about your book. Tell me more about what got you to write it. I know you just touched on it, but let's dive into it right away. Awesome. I want to comment on what you said, because it is so true that if you are in these service roles, if you just come to customer experience and you've never had a service role, then it's all data and numbers. Exactly. Right? It's all spreadsheet. You don't understand the human at the end of it. And that's a lot of what I talk about is human emotion and that human being that's at the end of the experience. And what I found out as I was venturing into my own small business is that our workforce was not really very good at uh, connecting with these human beings, particularly when there is a challenge or there's an issue. So I wrote Be Your Customer's Hero out of frustration. I was like, these young, yeah, you, generally in retail, it's, it's mostly younger people that are newer to the workforce. I was like, I had this gift of being taught to be customer focused and customer centric. Yeah. And I realized that most people haven't been taught that throughout their lives. They don't, we don't do business education in high school. We don't do anything like that. So yeah. I was like, what is like, is there like a single resource or a single training? Is there something I can give them where they are going to learn the great majority of what they need to know about customer experience, soft skills. And it didn't really exist as far as I was concerned, what I was looking for. So basically, I wrote it myself. And that's what Be Your Customer's Hero is. It was my frustration in seeing how frontline teams struggled in helping customers, both proactively, you know, looking for opportunities to help them, and more yeah. importantly, reactively when there was anger involved, when there was frustration involved, when they didn't know what to say and things like that. So that was the genesis of Be Your Customer's Hero. That's awesome. And so what would you say, or who would you say is the most ideal reader of this book? Like who would be picking this up and saying, this is the perfect book for me? So I've had everyone at all levels of the organization read it, but the book is designed for those who are, you know, face-to-face, phone-to-phone, chat-to-chat with customers, those who are, <laughs> handling customer interactions directly. That's who the book is for. However, it's a good book for supervisory level, mid-level managers as well to understand the skills that their team needs and to, uh, quite frankly, sometimes get the skills themselves because not always. Uh, yes. Sometimes the manager is not the best customer service person on the team, which is always uh, a challenge for people. 
Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is like, I think just in human nature, when someone is upset with us or someone is expressing a negative emotion, we jump to be defensive about it. And I think a lot of people take that stance or take that position when, even when they're in customer service. But I'm sure in this book as well, which I'm very intrigued by because I'm also working with customers on a daily basis. And I think investing in your ability to handle personal relationships and the customer interaction and the way that you provide that experience elevates the entire experience for somebody. And I think that's so important. But something that I'm really curious about is you touched on this part of challenges and emotions a little bit. I'm curious from your point of view, what do you find is the significance of customer emotions in shaping their overall experience with the brand? Like, How does that play a role and why is it so important? So what we've learned now, and this is one of the things that has shifted in my thinking as I've been doing this over the decades, is that customer emotion is the single greatest determinant of experience results. All right. So if a customer has a negative emotion or a positive emotion, particularly what we'd call a peak strong emotion, that emotion more likely than not is going to define the experience. Now, there's all kinds of research and data to support that, but I would just actually urge anyone listening to just think of it logically. You can go to your favorite restaurant. Now, forget your favorite restaurant, your neighborhood restaurant, which you like. It's not your favorite. All right. And you can go there 19 times and have a good meal and a decent experience and be happy. But if you have one really bad experience where the waiter is rude, they mess up everything, they don't care about remaking it right, they throw the plate down on the table. I mean, you're mad, you're angry. Your 20th experience, out of those 20 experiences, which one is going to define that relationship? Right. It's going to be that one. That's all you're going to, all you're going to remember is how mad you were. Now that works in the positive direction as well. If you just have some average ones or use some mildly frustrating ones, but you have a really, they really wow you. They came into that restaurant and it's your kid's birthday and they remembered it, right? Somehow they remembered it. It was the waiter. It was meant, you mentioned it two weeks ago to the waiter and you knew that said, we're going to come back and whatever. Then so they were ready for you. They wowed you. They have their the kid's favorite toy. They had balloons, all that stuff. Well, what are you going to remember then? That's what's going to stick out. So what we learned is, you know, our experiences aren't an average of how we feel during the experience. They're often defined by that peak moment. And across many experiences, our opinion of a brand, our relationship with the brand is more often than not defined by a few of these peak moments, more than the consistency, more than a bunch of average experiences. Now, those are important. Right. Those are very important because if those average experiences are all slightly negative, absolutely, that's not good. <laughs> that's not a good thing. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, the only reason we don't leave our banks is because of the hassle it would be. Yes. Agreed. Right. <laughs> right. Because I mean, generally, we don't have a miserable experience, but it's generally just bad experience after bad experience, just frustration after frustration. But the switching costs are so high, we're a bit trapped. Yeah. But when you don't have switching costs, you don't want that to happen, right? You want to really focus on minimizing those negative emotions and maximizing those peak positive emotions whenever possible. And I think what's interesting about that is because as you explain that, I can definitely understand the value in that, how that would be one of the most important metrics that you think about. But when putting it into practice, I think an initial thought that comes to my head as business owner or someone who is customer facing is... How do I identify that? Because I think it's hard to understand the customer's emotions. And the thing is, 
obviously the easy metrics to track are things like retention rate and churn rate and this, that, whatever. But there's so much value in understanding the customer's emotions, like you said, because that's the key thing that's going to keep people coming back, referring people, having a good experience, having a long longevity with the company. But the key question here, and what I think is a little bit abstract in my head as I think about it, is how do you go about identifying that? And how do you, I guess, track that like the other typical metrics? Well, I'll, I'll answer your second question first. I don't know that you can track it like the other metrics. It is its unique. Fair point. It's, 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 it's and you shouldn't thing. probably. <laughs> probably try, exactly. Because emotion is inherently squishy. But the case for it is very strong. That is making it a focus. I'll actually share that and circle back to your question. So there was one study um, done by the Tempkin Group a while ago. They compared positive emotion to negative emotion, meaning customers who had had a positive emotional experience versus a negative emotional experience. Those customers were 12 times more likely to recommend. So that's NPS. I think it was 14 times more likely to recommend. So that's 1,400% more likely to recommend, right? 14 times, not 14%. Eight times more likely to trust. And, you know, think about we were never going to get it always right. Six times more likely to forgive. Positive emotional experience versus a negative emotional experience. So because what I'm going to say next, it's difficult to do, particularly without a lot of technology. I want to make the case that it is worth your effort to do it and to try to do it. Technology does help in this case. There is a lot now with AI and what we have with technology. There's a sentiment analysis, right? Keyword analysis, all these things you can do to try to pinpoint emotional response. Those are generally reverse looking, right? Those are experiences that have already happened as a rule. So there's also approaching journey mapping through an emotional lens. What emotions do the customers experience at this touch point, right? Is it frustration? Is it joy? Where are opportunities to either mitigate the negative emotions or enhance the positive emotions? So you can approach it also through the lens. You should approach it through the lens of experience design as well. And so what are some of the key factors of experiences? And like, what would you say are some of the ways to think about that? If it was a company who was saying, okay, we want to start focusing on these positive emotions, really cultivating that. How would you go about thinking about experience design? First of all, you have to analyze who is, what is our brand? Who are we? What is our value promise? Right. Because a positive emotion, if I'm an airline customer, is not the same as if I'm a water park <laughs> enthusiast. <laughs> right. What uh, the positive emotions I can generate uh, for, you know, we'll call the, the child as the, uh, the customer, most likely <laughs> in a water park, is going to be different than, you know, a frequent flyer. Right. The yeah. frequent flyer just wants everything to work and be clean and not have to wait in the lounge and things like that. Right. The child wants another experience. So it's going to depend. If if you look at like, how do we do it? It's going to be completely industry, industry sensitive, company sensitive, experience sensitive, which parts of the experience, which parts of the airline experience, the lounge, the plane. Right. So it's, it's a very detailed process. First of all, I think let's do frequent flyer lounge since I just got through doing a bunch of trips as an example. So if we're looking like, what are the emotions there? Okay. A lot of that's going to be preventing negative emotion more than generating positive emotion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We want Certainly everything to so. work right. We want to make sure they have a seat. We want to make sure the bathrooms are clean. We want to make sure the food is well stocked and it's good food. 
Now, where can we make positive? Where can we try to focus on the positive emotion part? Well, one, when they come in, what is that experience like? How are they greeted? What's the process of checking in? What's the process when you have to tell them the lounge is full? Yes. <laughs> right. What are the human interactions? How are our staff trained to greet or smile or do the 10-5 rule, as we say in retail, you know, or you basically acknowledge somebody if you're 10 feet away, you say hi if you're five feet away. Like, what are our- I never knew that one. Oh, really? Oh, okay. No. So, and what, what are our service standards, though? What emotions, so we have to say, what emotions are we trying to target? I mean, I would very much focus on if I had, if I was in charge of a lounge, I would first of all focus on giving an entire private wing to Adam Toporek for him. That would be first. <laughs> so, very crowded out. So, you got your, you got your priorities straight, obviously. Priorities straight, exactly. <laughs> yes, so, there you it, go. <laughs> uh, Ed Bastion of Delta, if you are listening, please. Um, <laughs> but after that, like, I would focus very much on the initial right moment when they come in and I'd focus on the final moment. Goodbye. Is there anything else you need? Usually it's just bye, right? Is there anything else you need? Do you need any help with your flights? Anything like that? Really focusing on those human interactions because for the most part, a lounge, you don't have a lot of those. Right. Right. And maybe at the bar, if somebody orders a drink, but for the most part, most of the interactions are going to be just in passing. The planable interactions are in and out. So that's how you have to think about it, right? You have to break down the experience, break down the touch points and say, what emotions am I trying to achieve? What negative emotions? In this case, I'd say you'd be a little more focused on creating that base first. What negative emotions am I trying to prevent? I really like that because there's so many examples that come to mind, whether it's myself, my own experience in a service-based role or whether it's as a customer. And it's actually funny. I remember this one time I had just actually gotten knee surgery and it wasn't a major one. It was just one of those same day surgeries. So it wasn't a really big deal at all. But I was actually going through a family emergency at the exact same time that I needed an outfit to buy for a funeral because I was coming home from university. It was a whole big thing. It was just a crazy couple of days. Anyways, I definitely walked into the store and it was Aritzia. That's what it was. If you don't know Aritzia, it's a big fashion brand. But um, So basically, I definitely walked into this store. I was not smiling for sure. Like I was just all over the place. I was in my head about things. I wasn't really thinking straight. But one thing that I never, ever, ever forgot about this experience is that one of the sales associates came up to me and said, Hey, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I obviously didn't want to talk about it. But I said, yes, I just need an outfit for a funeral. And she didn't ask any questions. All I said was, I just need something and I don't really feel like looking for it myself. If you could help, that'd be great. And she went above and beyond. She found me six different options. She said, this is what we be the most comfortable. This is what will make you feel the most, I guess, supported while you're there. Here's all the different options. And then even above and beyond that, as I was trying things on, she was holding my crutches for me. She was holding everything. Oh, wow. She was there to make sure. She also said, do you want me to text your mom or whoever it is that you're at like this meeting you outside to make sure that you're all good to go? And then when I was checking out, because also I had a wonderful experience, even though it was a very upsetting time, I had a really nice experience there because it almost felt like I had a personal shopper who was just taking care of everything for me. And she was very happy. She was very supportive, very much in the moment. But when I was checking out, she even added a note inside the outfit saying like, you got this, don't worry. And I was like, wow, that is just insane. Like people really don't have to go and do that. And I definitely walked in there with an upset face and upset look on myself. Like I could have just done this myself, but I didn't really want to. But it's the fact that she noticed that there was something that she could do to improve my overall experience 
And funny enough, I actually ended up buying two extra things I didn't even need for the time just because it was such a good experience. I really enjoyed the time even in that kind of zone. So I think in that aspect of planable interactions that you talk about, this was an example of going above and beyond that's so unique to the situation that was just absolutely next level. What would you say the primary emotion you had from that experience? Happiness. I was so happy because I, after a tough time in those couple of days, this was just an actual really lovely, happy experience that I had. And I never thought I would have got that shopping in the mall. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> it was something that was surprising too, I guess, because I didn't expect that in that time. But the overwhelming thing was I actually walked out of there pretty happy. I was like, oh, it's not too bad then. Like Things are okay. Well, well, see, that's a great story because, I mean, it actually brings up some other things. You felt happy. Some of the emotions I would actually encourage people to think about are not even happiness because you could take what somebody else from that story might have taken. And you, you can have more than one emotion. So these may resonate with you as well. I felt supported. Right. Yeah. I trusted them. Yeah. Right? I had confidence. And those are very important right now. You know, trust is eroding. So yeah. emotions like trust and confidence and security, particularly in digital, all of uh, security is not an emotion, but feeling secure is an emotion. <laughs> um, those types of things actually are, you know, don't just think when you think of positive emotions as like surprise and delight. Yes. Right? Yeah. There are other positive emotions as well that are very important. No, I definitely agree. And that was one of the first examples that came to mind. But I was even just thinking from the business point of view, in your opinion, what do you think are some of the best practices to A, inspire those positive emotions, but also potentially just as important, reduce the friction points, I would say. So what are some of the best practices around that that you typically recommend to customers or your, your companies that you work with? Well, I'll, we'll start with some friction points and there are a bunch, but I'll just, uh, I'll, <laughs> give you, I'll give you three big ones and then we'll sort of go to creating the positive emotion. So friction, first one is ironically technology. So technology can be the, uh, it's the double-edged sword of friction or hassle. One thing I'll say, I talk about hassle. Most people talk about friction or effort. And the reason I talk about hassle is because to me, what matters is the emotional response. The emotional response is how I feel. That's hassled. Now, friction or effort, that's the mechanical thing that led me to feel that way. So I do try to frame it from the lens of hassle. And technology can either be uh, the great reducer of hassle or the great creator of hassle. Yeah. <laughs> Double-edged uh, so sword, it seems. Exactly. It is. And there's a few reasons why. One, it can be outdated. And look, this is challenging because technological IT investments take time. You're trying to guess where the puck's going to be because you don't want to, by the time it's built out, you don't want it to already be out of date. So it's not an easy thing. I'm not going to pretend it is, but it is something that's important. A lot of companies don't update their systems and their competitions do. Competitions provide a digital experience that is much smoother, much more frictionless, hassle-free. The next part of technology is it's simply badly designed from the standpoint of UX, right? The user experience just isn't good. We built it because it has these features. We didn't really care about what our customers were trying to do with the technology, yeah. right? What are their <laughs> goals? What are they trying to achieve? It's amazing how often the full experience is not basically captured in the technology. The technology is sort of a tool in and of itself on an island or sort of with one foot on the island and one foot in the ocean. And then it's not supporting the entire experience. So technology can be a huge source of hassle. 
Next one is I call this the OG of hassle because it has always been their policies and procedures. Right. Mm, the uh, lovely policies and procedures. Exactly. <laughs> well, so often we design policies and procedures for ourselves. You know, yeah. They may be to make our lives easier. They may be because of what we need for compliance. They may be what we need because the lawyers told us to. Whatever it may be, they're often the biggest sources of customer hassle. So policies and procedures are different things. Sometimes the procedures are a result of the policies. And those can be, again, designed not with the customer in mind. So what's an example of that? I came up with a term a long time ago called rule accretion, which is the natural state of every organization is to continue to accumulate more and more rules. We don't get rid of them naturally. You have to focus on them to get rid of rules naturally. You have to actually make a conscious effort to do it. So what happens? We have a rule that says, okay, well, you have to fill out, the customer has to fill out this form and that has to be submitted to Department X because one day back in 1987, someone stubbed their toe and we didn't have their liability release and we got sued and all of that. (laughs) And that's never been changed. And instead of updating the system and using our CRM system and putting it on a tablet and pre-filling the information and just asking them to confirm the information and then just to sign it, they have to fill out a 20-minute form every time they come into the office. It's these types of things. And you'll see this in some industries are much worse at this than others. Medical, very sort of liability-conscious industries. There's been a lot of insurance, a lot of risk, a lot of regulation. They can be very slow to adapt. So one of the keys here that you want to do is if you cannot get rid of the policy or procedure, perhaps it's a regulation, right? It's or a law. How can we make that touch point easier for the customer? The Mm -hmm. example I just gave, can we pre-fill the form and have them confirm the information? Right. Right. And how frustrating is it to go to your doctor or dentist and literally have to write out the same information every time (laughs) or every or every three months or six months, right? So there's things like that you want to ask if we can't improve the touch point, right? If we can't actually improve the policy or the procedure, we can't reduce the friction. How can we reduce the friction by helping the customer? Final thing, I'll do this one quickly, is training. A lack of training. I have my seven service triggers. One of those is being faced with incompetence. And <laughs> it, doesn't, like it, it doesn't mean that the uh, rep is incompetent, but it does mean that the customer perceives they are incompetent. And that's often either a lack of information or a lack of training. So how frustrating is it to finally get someone, to get a human being, and they don't know what to do? Right. They don't know who to send it to. They don't know how to communicate to you your options. This all comes down to training. And so those are three big hassle points. And then I think you were asking me about positive emotion as well. So that's preventing yeah. negative emotion. So training <laughs> is crucial because we're in an area where we have digital experience and human experience, and the digital is growing as far as share of interaction. Where my focus is, is on the human experience, because I will say this, while human experiences, and what I mean by that is persons helping other persons, will become a smaller share of the experiences, they will become a more valuable share of the experiences. Okay, and what think about that. If I'm trying to use my app, I'm trying to check out digitally, and I finally, it doesn't work, and I hit zero or whatever, I get, I try to get to a human, well, I'm already frustrated by the time I get to them. But the AI chat bot has not worked oh, for me, God, yes. and I'm ready for a human, <laughs> that human experience better be good. 
that human experience yeah. is going to define how that experience goes, right? It can either save that frustration or not. So training and empowerment and education are all key. We've got to give them the tools they need to be able, you know, the soft skill tools they need to be able to manage those conversations. They need to be empowered, just like the person who helped you in that clothing store yeah. was. That was empowerment, right? That was somebody who had the ability to help you and make some decisions and help you in real time. And then they need the education. You need to have good systems to make sure they have the product knowledge. They know they have information they can use to help the customers with that training, yeah. with that empowerment. No, I think that's, it's really helpful because it's simple when you put it that way in terms of just defining it by the touch points and then figuring out a, how to instill that positive emotion or how to reduce the friction so that whatever policy or procedure has to happen is not so bad that it, they can make it a little bit nicer of an experience. But I think it just gives the lay of the land much easier to understand how to go about doing something like that because I can understand why it would be hard to try and figure out all those things or just trying to see where the friction points are, where the points are for opportunities. So I really like the way that you put that. And I think the best way to tie this whole conversation together would be to ask, I'm curious if you've seen an experience of a company that has become a customer's hero, either by your own experience or maybe even someone who's read your book and use it as a use case. But if you have an example that kind of ties us all together of a company or a brand or an organization that does this really, really well. So there are a few. I'm going to go with the one I already mentioned because I've got a few stories about them. And I don't think they've read my book. So uh, Ed Bastian, again, call me. So I'm going to give you Delta Airlines. Uh, And there's a few reasons. One, when you define being a customer's hero, right? When you define these things about friction and positive emotion and negative emotion, as I mentioned, it is industry specific. Yeah. So if you have one of the biggest airlines in the world, you're going to have customer complaints. Being a great (laughs) top star company does not mean you do not have upset customers. It's no way. (laughs) At that scale, in that industry, it doesn't happen. But they are consistently voted best airline. Okay, and I think they actually won it again in this last year. So a few things they do. I am, uh, based on my location and the fact that I love them, I am a Delta customer, I will say. I fly other airlines and I like other airlines, but they're my main one. So a few things that I can mention where they became customer heroes. During the pandemic, I thought they were exemplary. So when the pandemic first happened, everything was shutting down. They communicated every week with updates. Start. I mean, I'm talking right. at the beginning when we did not know. And they were making decisions that I guarantee you they tried their best to calculate the cost, but did not know the cost when they were doing it. They said, your points are going to be good for two more years. Uh, I don't remember the exact dates, but I mean, they said, don't worry, you're going to get to keep your status for two years. Your points aren't going to expire. Okay. They were sending out updates about the flights, about cleanliness, what we're doing on the planes. We don't know this. We do know this. They were all actually coming from the president. I don't think he was hitting the button to send them, but it was all under his <laughs> name. He was taking personal, yeah, he was taking personal <laughs> accountability. Another thing they did, because I still had some flights at that time, is they changed their voicemail reading or their uh, whatever their IVR message. Mm-hmm. So their IVR message was, "Please understand." I'm paraphrasing here. Please understand that much of our team is working from home, and they would actually sort of signal that, hey, you may hear dogs, you may hear things in the background. Please understand that we care about you. We're working, but, you know, this is not business as usual. 
Yeah. So in other things, like when your flights, re- a lot of times when there's flight cancellations, they automatically rebook you before you even get to the line. You have it on your app. It's been rebooked. So right. Good. And they're doing things like that. But they have they have issues as well. They got pilot shortages are affecting everyone. Routes are affecting yeah. everyone. Right now, they're having issues with just phone capacity. Part of that is they are so popular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right now, that people I want guess to fly it's, them. It's a good problem to have, but it's a problem for sure. <laughs> it's a happy challenge. But I really think for the industry they're in, they truly exemplify almost everything you want in a customer experience company. Sure, yeah. they're a huge huge company. They don't get it right every time, and certainly on an individual level, out of eighty thousand employees, uh, some yeah. are, not all of them will be you know, the greatest you've ever met. So it's, there's a scale issue, but yeah, they are an absolute great company, and I think they example they are uh, consistently customer heroes, including to me. That's awesome. I really love that. And actually, just touching on one last point there that you mentioned that out of the eighty thousand employees, not every single person is going to be the best that you meet. Obviously, maybe not on the scale of 80,000, but with a lot of business owners, with their employees and their teams that they're working with. As a renowned CX leader yourself, do you have any strategies or best practices on how to create a customer-centric culture within a business? Because I feel like when we're talking about all these things about being customer-focused with customer emotions and this and that, it's all at the root of people. And what happens with the root of people is people are serving people at the end of the day. And so I feel that there's probably some strategies, some ideas that you have around creating that culture of being customer focused. Because like the example that you said with Delta, the example that I gave you, I'm sure there was something about the culture of that company that inspired these people to have these really interesting and wonderful experiences with customers. So curious to know your thoughts around creating that kind of culture in a business. Well, first is you have to know what your culture is, right? Or what the culture yeah. you're trying to have is you really have to define it. You have to know what you stand for. What are your service standards? You have to yeah. know what does it mean to be customer centric for us? Then you've got to hire for fit, right? So, I mean, that's hard when you're hiring, you know, when you've got a, a team of 80,000, obviously. And it's yeah. hard when there's a, a great resignation or a labor shortage for other reasons, right? It's not always easy. You know, sometimes you have to decide between this person is it the perfect cultural fit, but if I don't have somebody on the phones, it's going to be worse, right? But you want to hire for fit as much as you can. You really want to know what your culture is and who fits that culture. Then you've got to do onboarding. This is one of the things, one of the, I think, the things that every great company does is onboarding. Onboarding people, I think Zappos is one of the great originals at having an incredible onboarding process, really where they just instill the values of the company in you. So you yeah. understand this is who we are, this is why we're that way, and this is what we expect. And this is what our customers expect. And if you do that, if you hire right and you onboard, that is really just a question of maintaining that culture over time. Right. And I think as a trainer, we're a training company. One of the things you find is that people tend to do, uh, you know, tra- set it and forget it, or you know, just train, yeah. uh, do the quick <laughs> onboarding. Uh, here's the keys. Here's here's the operational training. Here's how you fill your fill out your TPS reports. Have fun. And you know, if you want a customer, that's great. If you just want an employee, if you want a customer centric culture, you have to reinforce it over time. You have to always make the mission, the message top of mind, communicate, share stories of successes, 
Jenny at HR saved this uh, situation with a customer the other day. Da, 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 da. Those things, the stories are so powerful. And with that type of thing, if you can onboard, choose for fit and reinforce over time, you'll have a great culture. Absolutely. And I think I really love the idea of the stories because it's banding together on some united front towards something, not just saying it, but actually walking the walk after you talk the talk. So I really like that as well. And it's almost actually thinking about the emotions from the employee side of thing. Like how do you make those planable interactions, which is onboarding and hiring for the right fit and things like that, a positive emotion coming from that? Because I feel like treating your employees like that will result in a better experience for your customers as well. So that is really, really nice. I like that 100%. <laughs> One thing, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, how CX has evolved. One thing that's really evolved the last 10 years, not new now, is the symbiotic relationship between employee experience and customer experience. Yep. And you cannot have one without the other. Yeah, I can't imagine how that would work, but I really like everything that you shared today. It was really insightful and really helpful with just a different ideas and thoughts and ways to actually put that into action. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will figure out how to become their customer's hero. So thank you so much for sharing all those insights. That was really lovely. Just to end off our conversation today, we always like to do a lightning round. So very quick questions, three quick, simple questions, but (laughs) just to learn more about you and just have some fun questions going on. So I'll ask you three quick questions. We'll end on a piece of advice and that'll be that. So I'm going to start off with my first question, which is if you could describe your approach to customer experience in just three words, what would they be? Maximize positive emotions. Oh my, you had that ready to go. I did. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. You took lightning seriously. Yes, you said lightning round. I'm ready. No, no, you listened. You listened. <laughs> okay, second question. Can you name any superstar companies that have successfully prioritized customer emotion, reduced customer hassle, and demonstrated effective CX leadership? And I'll add in a little part that is not Delta. <laughs> That is that right? Yeah, because I mentioned Delta twice. Don't worry. <laughs> Ooh, I'm choosing between two. I'm going to go with Ritz Carlton. Oh, yes, uh, I would very much agree with that. Yeah, so Ritz Carlton is obviously a legendary customer experience yes. company. Their leadership is incredible, and it's just been passed. Their culture is incredible. It's just been passed on literally across generations now. Their service standards. Yeah. So to be a leader, you don't have to even have to create the culture. You just have to sustain and maintain one of the most incredible customer experience cultures that's ever happened. And uh when you talk about employee empowerment and training, Rich Carlson. That is so true. That's a great I'm example. Keeping, I'm keeping it lightning. I could talk about that. No, like you minutes. did you did a great one there. Yeah. We'll bring you back onto the podcast <laughs> just to talk about Rich Carlton. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Last but not least for the lightning round questions is if you could master a skill overnight, which one would it be and how would it help with your work? I don't know because it really comes down to a natural born talent. It would be singing because I'm a, guitar- <laughs> I'm a guitarist who can't sing at all. Wow. Uh, and it would help my work not one bit, but I would really like to be able to sing. <laughs> but who said it wouldn't because... Who said that singing doesn't provide a positive customer experience and doesn't add an element of surprise and delight? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I sing for my clients, sure. It's like, oh, we're going to start. Before so. we start the Zoom call, I'm going to just sing a little song <laughs> yeah. for you. Yeah. You talked about building trust and credibility. Okay. I think that is a very unique way to go about things. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if you want to keep it a lightning round, let me sing. It'll end really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Last question before we call it a day is, is there a piece of marketing or life advice 
that someone shared with you once that has always stayed with you? Someone has shared with me? I, or I uh, guess you heard or you learned somewhere. Yeah, that I mean, I, I, it's sort of cliche. I've got a bunch. This one's a little cliche for our industry, but unfortunately or fortunately, it fits what we've been talking about the whole time. It's that, <laughs> and by the way, I'm not sure there's some dispute about it, whether it's her quote or not, but everyone quotes it as Maya Angelou. I've learned that people won't will forget what you said, will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. As good a customer experience quote uh, based on everything we know and have talked about regarding emotion as there will ever be. You tied that so well together with a little bow on top. That's incredible. <laughs> just brought the whole thing full circle, just really a perfect ending. <laughs> uh, thank you, Lauren. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Well, with that perfect ending, we will end the podcast episode here. But thank you again so much for joining me. It was a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to Gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.